Father, we cry, holy, holy, holy. Holy are you, Lord. We thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, as we come before you, as we sit at your feet this morning, would you just draw near to us? Would you give us a clearer picture of, of who you are and who we are because of you? We thank you that you have already defeated sin and death. We, we take this time to stand on the authority to bind any lies of the enemy that are seeking to lie to us about our identities, about who you are. We pray that you would just sweep it out of the room this morning. Here we are, Lord. Come to seek your face. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, guys. If we haven't met, uh, my name is Jenna. I have the privilege of serving on our oversight team here with my husband, Mike. We have three little girls, Landry, Addie, and we have another on the way. Um, yeah, woo-woo! <laughs> so when we told the girls that we were having another baby, we asked what they wanted to name the baby, and Addie immediately said, I think it's gonna be a girl, and we have to name her Crispy. <laughs> so her name would be Crispy Frisky. While we totally appreciate her input um, and that name, I think it'll stay as a nickname for now. Uh, Landry said that she didn't have a specific name in mind, but she thought the baby's name should mean steadfast. Yeah, so as we have been digging into names and trying to choose a name based on this meaning, it has me thinking about all the different names of Jesus. So last week, Holden kicked us off on, on a new series on who Jesus says he is. And as we dive into the I am statements of Jesus, we cling on to these truths because it helps form our view of him. The names of Jesus that we learn about help give shape to his character. And it gives us a taste of, of what he's like and who he is. This is so important because our perception of him is, is so formative, not only in our relationship with him, but it also dictates how we go about life based on that view. So here at Regen, one of our mottos is we are living examples, not perfect examples. So I'm going to tell you of a time where my perception of Jesus led to major life decisions. So I grew up in a Christian home, knowing about Jesus and believing in him wasn't ever really a question. I found that as I entered my 20s, I was faced with decisions and difficulties that often accompany adulthood. Uh, and I found that I had this deep longing inside of me, and I really did not have any idea what it was. It was as if I desired something more, a hunger or a craving of my soul but I was just unable to put my finger on it. 
As time went on, I graduated college. I started my career. I got married. I bought a house. We had children. I did all of these steps that I thought one should take, thinking that the summation of these events would give ease to that longing. But I found that that hunger for something more, it was, it was still present. One winter, as I was in the throes of grief after losing my best friend, my grandmother, um, I found that this longing just became so acute and nagging, it was so hard to ignore. So in an attempt to decrease that pain, I did what any ambitious or approval-seeking type would do. I started graduate school. <laughs> because having a full-time job, raising a toddler, being pregnant with another, also while remodeling a house, or watching my husband remodel a house, isn't enough. I thought that pursuing my master's would certainly help me attain this desire for more that my inner being longed for. I found that as I doubled the busyness of our life, that hunger or desire for more became even more prominent. What is that? What am I missing here? It's like an itch in the middle of your back that you just can't reach to scratch. Maybe you felt that longing too. A desire for something more that's so deep in your core, but you just cannot pinpoint what it is. Unsure of what it is, you, you have to find something to fill that void, to satisfy that unidentified craving. So maybe you choose to chase power and prestige. Success surely ought to give ease to that craving. Maybe you try to shop that feeling away. The more things that you accumulate will fill that void, right? Maybe you turn to food to soothe or a bottle. Just a few drinks to numb out that nagging feeling. Perhaps you fill your life with more. More activities, more education, more money, more work hours. Listen, there's nothing like filling that void, or rather avoiding that void, by working six to seven days a week. Whatever desire speaks to your personal being, however you choose to fill that void or satisfy that longing, rest assured you are not the first person to sense this hunger and make a decision on how you are going to attempt to satisfy it. Um, so would you open your Bibles this morning to John 6, 25? That's John 6, 25. This passage enters the scene on Jesus as he is in the midst of his public ministry. He's gathering large crowds after people have seen and heard of the multiple physical healings that he has performed. This passage, it's also on the heels of one of his great known miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. This is where he took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed over 5,000 people. Fortunately, today, during this service, you will also be fed. But unlike the 5,000, you will not get your fill physically because you will only be offered a small piece of bread that is dunked in grape juice after this sermon. <laughs> So after feeding this large crowd, we see Jesus send off his disciples and he went to spend time alone with the Father. The next day, Jesus and his disciples, they were tracked down by this crowd. And this is where we're picking up this morning. So starting in verse 25. 
They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So looking at this passage, it might be shocking to hear this response from Jesus. As these people are seeking him, he gives them this abrupt and really even brash response. But here is what we have to remember. Jesus is fully human. Jesus is also fully divine. And we see times in the gospel where his full divinity breaks through that human barrier. And here is an example of how he is able to see what our eyes cannot. And that's the truth of the crowd's heart. Which, to be fair, as we keep reading, we will get a greater glimpse of where their hearts really lie. So in this verse, he calls out their spiritual bluff of seeking him. And he names what they are truly searching for. A filling of their appetites. Diving into this passage, it shows how this crowd is more concerned with satisfying the gods of their stomachs rather than searching for the true desire that their souls long for. No, they would rather settle this, this inner desire with a physical fulfillment. Food. Free food at that. He then ends this verse by offering them insight that their craving was of a spiritual nature, not a physical one. But in true fashion of a hangry heart and an unwilling mind, we see their response here in verse 28. 28. They replied, We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Now, I don't want us to miss a couple of details here. The crowd, uh, this crowd who was accustomed to legalistic obedience asked what works they can perform. Jesus answers that there is only one work that they can perform that, that God wants from them. He corrects their plural form of works into a singular verb, work. This correction, it shows us a few things. It shows us that God is opposed to earning but he is not opposed to effort. It also shows us this definitive answer of what he is specifically asking of them, and that is to believe. This, this word believe in Greek is, it's called pistuo. It's a mouthful. It's a word that is used 244 times throughout the New Testament, showing the significance of this specific word. Pistuo is a verb. It's an action. It means committal to, faith in, reliance upon, to entrust yourself to. This verb, it's a believing faith that not only involves the consent of the mind, but an act of the heart and a will of the subject. It's an action that involves all of you, mind, heart, and body. As we dive into this word, we see how this definition it insinuates or it assumes relationship. So we can think of this in terms of marriage. It's hard to entrust yourself to someone that you're not committed to. I entrust myself, my heart, to my husband because we are in a committed relationship. 
it, as, as a result of that trust and commitment, has led to a deep and intimate relationship where we know things about each other, good and bad, that no one else knows. Side note, if anyone would like dirt on Mike, I can be bought for a price. <laughs> so this is the belief for entrusting yourself to that Jesus is talking about here. It's this radical idea that transcends legalistic obedience or earning your way into eternity. But it shows that there is an action, a change that is required on our end. But as we see in this next verse, the idea of change is not always well received. Verse 30, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now is when we're seeing a clear picture of their hearts. Remember, this crowd was following Jesus because they seen him miraculously heal multiple people. They were part of the over 5,000 people that he fed with the five loaves of bread and the two fish. And yet they taunt him to show them another sign. The reality of this conversation is they doubted who he was. They disregarded the invitation he was extending by degrading him as a less than Moses. And the irony in this crowd comparing Jesus to Moses. As we find out in a couple of minutes, this is the first of the I am statements that Jesus makes. The I am statements connect back to the Old Testament in Exodus 3 where God revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh or I am who I am. And now we are seeing Jesus revealing himself that same way. But here is a people that is so blinded by their own desires. They don't even make the connection to the divinity of Jesus. How Jesus is revealing himself as God. Instead, they ask for more miracles. The miracles that Jesus performed, they weren't a magic trick. They weren't a show. They were signs that, passed it, that pointed past the earthly and the physical and to the heavenly and eternal. These signs challenge those who see them because they are a physical testimony to the divinity of Jesus. But these people weren't interested in seeing who was standing before him. They weren't interested in believing in him because that would require a change of heart on their part. Really, they weren't, they weren't interested in satisfying the hungers of their soul. Theologian N.T. Wright states that, The crowd realizes that Jesus is pointing out that they can't just expect bread on demand, that if this is really a heaven-sent renewal movement, there will be a new standard in which they must sign up. This means that God is making a demand on them, and it is this that they believe in Jesus, a command which, if it is to be obeyed, will require a change of heart. So we see how Jesus answers them, not with another miraculous sign, but, but rather he gives them an answer to the question that their souls crave. Verse 32. 
Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And once again, we see Jesus call out their misguided desires because while Jesus is speaking of a spiritual matter, the crowd is still searching for a filling to their physical desires. They saw him as this potential meal ticket, which to be fair is not something that we can really relate to or comprehend because this crowd was very poor from the heavy burden of Roman taxation. Jewish tradition at this time assumed that Moses was the first redeemer and that the second redeemer, like Moses, would let bread descend from heaven. This is a, a reference to the manna that rained from heaven, feeding the Israelites while in the wilderness after they left Egypt. Jesus, as a first century Jew, fully aware of this viewpoint, answers by challenging their misguided belief of who provided the food. And he does so in such a gracious way. This crowd is looking for a person, a king to care for their physical needs, a king to fit the mold of who they thought the Messiah should be, what he should do, not a redeemer who calls out their sinfulness and asks them to turn from their idolatrous ways to a life of righteousness. This view has been passed down for generations, over 2,000 now, actually. Because if we take a closer look, I think we can relate to this passage, more specifically to the crowd. Because just like this crowd, we also have a hunger. Most of us aren't here suffering from physical starvation, even if your bellies are growling right now. Don't worry, the communion bread's only a couple minutes away. We have this hunger, and we seek to bring satiety through physical means. We try to numb the hunger through food, alcohol, pornography, through working more, buying more, learning more, earning more. We desire more. So we go on a journey of physically filling this void, which leads to a bigger, gaping hole. A physical feeling to this hunger will never bring satiety, because our souls cry for a spiritual filling. We multiply our brokenness by medicating the primary issue, a spiritual matter, with a secondary issue, leaning into our physical desires. As we try to curb the craving of our soul, we create more problems for ourselves because we invite in idolatry and sin. What we see in this text today is that when we lean into our brokenness, we, we are blinded by whatever misguided desire that speaks to us, completely missing the invitation that Jesus has placed in front of us. And what is that invitation? Let's read in verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes, to me will whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those that the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. 
For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those that he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. Verse 40. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. This discourse culminates by Jesus calling himself the bread of life. He's speaking to our basic needs. He's speaking to our hunger. He's speaking to our soul's desperate desire for something more. He uses this metaphor of hunger and thirst to show that he is the embodiment of the satisfaction and satiation that we long for. He is the recipe for our desperate souls. And through this unveiling of who he is and what he is here to do, he offers this radical invitation to the original hearers and to us today to realign our desires around him. I want to reread these last verses in the message translation. Uh, Verse 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more ever. I have told you this explicitly because even though you have seen me in action, you don't really believe me. Every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me. And once that person is with me, I hold on and don't let go. I came down from heaven not to follow my own agenda, but to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. This, in a nutshell, is that will. That everything handed over to me by my Father be completed. Not a single detail missed. And at the wrap-up of time, I have everything and everyone put together, upright and whole. Verse 40. This is what my Father wants. That anyone who sees the Son, trusts who he is and what he does, then aligns with him, will enter real life, eternal life. My part is to put them on their feet, alive and whole, at the completion of time. Verse 40 in this version gives emphasis not only on the radical gift that he offers, but what our part is, too. This passage says that it's seeing him, trusting who he is and what he's doing, peace duo, and then aligning yourself with Jesus. It indicates that a domino effect follows or a shift within you occurs. A mind, heart, and will change. Jesus isn't offering an invitation to acknowledge him and then continue on with your life in the same direction. Because what kind of an invitation is that? Really, it just promotes spiritual indifference. Uh, Depending on the tradition that you've come from, salvation can be taught as this real fluffy truth. Just tell Jesus you believe in him and you will go to heaven when you die. While yes, that that is a truth, it really only captures a small snapshot of a larger picture. Jesus offers us this gift, and if we say yes, we can experience heaven. But he doesn't want us to wait till we physically die to experience heaven. He wants us to experience heaven and salvation right here and right now while we are still physically alive. When we believe, 
And when we align ourselves with Jesus, we are a conduit of the heavenly realms ushering in his kingdom to this sinful, lost, and broken world. In his book, Mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis states, To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way. Not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because of the first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. He wants us to experience his gift that he offers, but peace to it requires relationship. To take it a step further, it requires intimacy. Without intimate relationship with Jesus, we seek to fill a hunger or soothe an ache that we weren't meant to fill or soothe. Left to our own devices, we let the voices of this world and the voice of the enemy speak into that hunger with our own misaligned des desires. Just another bottle, another click on Amazon, another degree, another zero in that bank account. First John says, The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they're from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Those misaligned desires not only multiply our brokenness, but they drive a wedge between us and our Heavenly Father, a wedge that we place there. And yet here is Jesus, arriving on the scene to a crowd who is just like us, offering to give the satisfaction that their souls, just like ours, long for. Through faith in Jesus, we find that we already have God's approval, and it becomes our life's ambition to serve him as we hunger for the things of God, his righteousness and his intimate relationship. As we read this passage... And may have your heart pondering. Why would he do this for me? Genesis tells us that we were created for God by God. He didn't create us out of a need because he is God and he does not need. He created us out of a desire that is driven by unconditional love. An unconditional love that he longs to lavish upon the created beings made in his image. He desires that his heart, his unconditional love, be experienced by us. And we experience his love through intimate relationship with him. Friends, intimacy with the Lord is the nourishment that your souls long for. It's the satiation of an otherwise hungry heart. So let me just finish my story about my hangry heart. Uh, I put my nose to the grindstone for a few years uh, working on my master's. I was only a few months away from graduating as a nurse practitioner when it was as if I looked in the mirror and saw the truth of what I was doing. 
And the truth was, I was trying to satisfy a hunger of my soul by leaning into ambition, by seeking more success, success that bred pride. I believed the lie that this degree and this new career path would make me whole. It would satisfy my hunger for more. I had been on this search most of my life, a hunt for this, this deep desire to be filled, but here he was sitting in front of me, patiently waiting this whole time. I was missing intimate relationship with my creator. I knew about him, but I did not entrust myself to him, and I most definitely did not seek to align myself with him. The lack of relational intimacy that I craved was because I didn't know who he really was or what he was like. I had this misperception that, that he was this eye-in-the-sky God who looked down on me from his throne. A cold and impersonal God who I would pray to at night. But I would ponder, was he really listening? Did he really care? A God who saw my every move and surely was aware that I would never be good enough to get into heaven. Uh, John Mark Comer says, Often what we believe about God says more about us than it does about God. Our theology is like a mirror to the soul. It shows us what's deep inside. My misperception of who God was and what he was like shows the reality of my insecurity of never feeling like enough. Convinced that I had to do more, earn more, seek more, be more to receive love. Fortunately, we have a God who reveals more of himself as we seek him. We see more of who he is, of what he's like, and what that means to us. And the reality of what it means to us is one of the most fundamental questions that human ask. Who am I? Okay. Our identity, who we are, who we are created to be, it flows from our, how we view the Heavenly Father. It is through intimacy that we learn who He is. It is through intimacy with Him that we learn who we are, who He created us to be. And here's the truth of who He is. He is a loving Father who sees you. He invites you to, to sit and, and, and feast at his table, giving satiation and satisfaction to your hunger. He lavishes his unconditional love over you, showing you how well he knows you, he sees you, he loves you, he longs to be with you. In fact, he loves you so much that he gave up his life for you. Yes you who are sitting in this room right now. You were on his mind as he hung on that cross. He did it so that, he, that you could have the opportunity to know him intimately as a close friend, not just for today, but for eternity. He sits waiting for you to accept his invitation, an invitation to encounter the living Jesus, an invitation to experience a loving father, an invitation to connect with a close friend who knows you better than you know yourself. 
If this, if this feels overwhelming to you this morning or you just aren't even sure where to start with this, then can I invite you to take one step this week? One step is t- take time. Find a quiet place. Sit and read through Psalm 103. Sit with that passage and let the Lord lavish his love over you. This scripture is a great starting place for for who he is, what he's like, how he feels about you. For those who are already walking with Jesus, I invite you to sit with him this week. Give him space and opportunity to reveal more of himself to you. Sit at his feet in abandoned adoration as he satisfies your soul. A.W. Tozer said, It is simply not enough to know about God. We must know God at increasing levels of intimacy that lift us above all reason and into adoration and praise and worship. I pray that as you sit with the Father, the adoration and the awe of who he is bubbles up into praise and worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that that you are so different from who this world frames you to be. We thank you that you know us so well. Help us to focus on you. We ask that you just reveal more of yourself to us this week, Jesus. Give us eyes of adoration as we look to you. I pray this week that we would fall even deeper in love with you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.